Welcome to Second Act Podcast. Second Act, it's a continuation and yet an evolution. It's finding meaning, fulfillment and deep sense of purpose. Through these podcasts, I would like to invite people who experienced their second acts, found a bigger purpose for themselves and are ready to share their stories because we truly believe that learnings happen through conversations. Hi everyone and I'm super 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 happy to introduce you a very beautiful person I have been an admirer of myself for many years now I follow her work intently and I'm sure every woman entrepreneur knows her by now because of all the work that she brings in I'm talking about Shelly Chopra who's been a journalist and author of four books a very dynamic entrepreneur herself because she founded She the People TV which is a TV which empowers women with stories of role models and we just need to inspire each other with conversations it's a delight shelly thank you for giving me time it's also asia's largest platform for women it's great to have you on a chat with me on second act podcast because second act is nothing else but learning through conversations it's such a delight to have you thank you for coming over Thanks very much. It's wonderful being with you over here, Archana. Thank you. And Shelly, um, since the podcast is about second act, I will ask you the first question, which I almost ask everybody, that what is your second act? Because, you know, the second act as I see myself and, you know, what I'm trying to bring is where my second innings or a second life or a bigger meaning or a purpose that I bring to myself comes in place. So what has been your second act? So second act for me is really sort of been reinventing who I am every five years. With me, the second act happens not once in a lifetime, but I reinvent my journey every few years because I feel that I need to push myself to experiment all I can, be all the people that I want to be, in one single life. So, I love the name of your podcast show simply because I feel that, you know, it makes your second piece or or an opportunity sound like one must take a leap with. So, second act for me really is reinventing myself. Such a great thought I would say and that's exactly what we want to make other people also aware of because not only that you on your personal side you're a mother of two, uh you also love gardening as i know and you're a holder of tea cups what's that story all about so i haven't really been a traditional tea drinker in sort of the masala chai version but since i have never really taken to coffee which is i suppose every workaholic's uh, standard drink i felt like i wanted to sort of adopt the loose leaf chai in a way that uh, very few have done and so over the last few years i really found um some solace in drinking warm water with loose leaf tea that came from hand picked gardens around the world and that became a thing that worked for me you know it sort of made me feel like i had something to go to just like people have coffee to go to <laughs> yes. and it became like a signature and you know um there's a hashtag for all my tea conversations it's called love pico and um it predominantly i don't know which came first love for tea or the love for tea cups I just think that there is something about spending time with yourself with a cup of tea and if it's laid out very nicely for which I bother nobody I just sort of spend time making little spots for myself to enjoy my tea with a nice little cup made by somebody a small business or a ceramic artist it just sort of uplifts my day so yeah definitely a big deal for me 
I think it's also a beautiful story because not only that you're pouring teacups just to make the place look beautiful, but you're also giving chance to a lot of new people, a lot of new entrepreneurs who must be in this space and then also basic artisans as I can hear it. So it's commendable. I wish everybody does something for somebody else. You know, I'm they're... a big believer in like supporting small businesses because when I quit mainstream television after about 18 years and decided to set up a business, I recognize how difficult it is for women to take that leap or anyone to take that leap and then, uh, you know, follow their dream. So anybody who's out there with an effort to, you know, go give back to society, connect rural artisans, you know, build a little piece themselves, I'm all for supporting them. Oh, fantastic. So now that you're talking about, you know, setting up your own business, give me a little background. And for people who are hearing us about how did you actually invent or like, you know, bring in or give birth to She the People? She the People happened at a point when I recognized that around me, there were no women who were really standing up to speak up. And the few that were, were considered anti-establishment, rebels. They were questioned for speaking out of turn. Having been raised in a very patriarchal society, most Indian women prefer to follow rules rather than break them. And I was very clear, I wanted to be a rule breaker. From the very time that I was raised in my own household, I had a voice of my own. Invariably, I would uh, be welcomed when I disagreed and there would be a debate in the house. For me, this was a very big source of empowerment and finding who I was. To believe that just very few people selectively who had privileged backgrounds because they were raised in open-minded homes were the ones that who would have these voices was problematic. And I felt that having been in a journalism field for nearly 20 years and still not seen that we don't bring up issues that are uncomfortable on the front page, we don't raise enough questions about the domestic violence that women face or the silence that they you know, sort of adopt for themselves. So I wanted to break free from all of these expectations of society and decide that as a journalist, how am I impacting change, right? Yes, I broke a lot of big stories in my stint as a business journalist, but how was I impacting change in people's lives, right? That's what really inspired me. And I decided that I would create She The People as a platform where women can speak up for themselves and learn to live a life on their own terms. And today we are touching close to 500 million women a year through massive digital reach and ensuring that we talk about conversations that make people uncomfortable so that they are able to sort of unshackle from the expected journey even a minority gender is expected to undertake. You know, it's a very beautiful uh, example I want to give you here that uh, just a few days back, my daughter sends me a WhatsApp, like a notification which said, in this house, we don't change our clothes, we invite better men. So it's a story that, you know, every morning when she comes down, basically, you know, after waking up, I always tell her, we have men's staff, can you please be a little properly attired? And this was something yeah. she sends me from her university, you know, she studies in Amsterdam. And that's what she told me. And I said, yeah, okay, you know what, I think I will come to your house. <laughs> so while I know what you're saying, and there is a lot of work, and you know, we women are picking up our voices, but still, there is a lot of work to be done, don't you think? 
I have no doubt about that. I never claim that She the People is anywhere near completing the task that it wants to do. But I feel like with every single passing day, we need to have those conversations. We need to have those conversations above board, on the table, on the policy desk, with politicians, with young women who are in schools as students, with mothers, with mother-in-laws. These are conversations that need to change. In the period that I've spent building She the People, one of the most stark conversations that we have and we continue to get from women across India is how patriarchal women are themselves and how much hurt they bring to their daughters or daughter-in-laws or sisters or or mothers. And it's very tragic. And that's why as a platform, we are she the people for people who are trying to build the change and break that notion that we are, you know, we're not here to be anti-men. We're not here to be increasing the gaps that already exist. For us, the conversation is we have had a massive, skewed, unequal society for years and decades and centuries. How do we fix that? How do we highlight opportunities? How do we give access to women who are looking for entrepreneurship or some other things through our digital women's summit and awards? How do we try and build conversations by putting forth the work that women are doing, such as what we do with the Women Writers Festival, which is the world's largest traveling festival dedicated to women authors. How does one go out there and talk about online safety and talk about how women can feel safer using the internet, feel safer transacting on it, shopping on it, conversing on it, sharing pictures on it. And that's how, you know, the online safety summit came about. So for us, all of these conversations eventually lead to one, which is freedom and freedom of thought for women. As women, we owe it to ourselves to have basic constitutional rights, which is to live life as a citizen who is free and have access to public spaces and have access to voice, free speech. How do we ensure that women don't feel under pressure to what they have to say or what they think or how they behave and, you know, what their public spaces are? I would say that there is a very long road ahead. The pandemic hasn't made it easier. It's probably worsened a lot of efforts that go into normalizing gender equalities and improving that uh, gap. I think that's been a massive setback. But, you know, there are two options in front of everybody who works in this space. You either continue with your task, with your head down and focus in place, or you get bogged down with the environment saying, this ain't happening in my lifetime. I know it's not happening in my lifetime. It's not going to be an equal story. But I'm not in a rush to say that I'm going to give up because I'm going to do what I can and then pass the baton to whoever takes it next. So all this work, I know it's very impactful because at the urban spaces, you know, because of the background education, also a lot of encouragement that we are getting from our peers. Uh, What's happening to the tier two, tier three cities still? What is your experience there? So my experience is that there is a complete myth that India is, uh, you know, sort of backward, traditional, patriarchal or more patriarchal in tier three, tier two, and maybe even tier four versus, let's say, the urban cities. I feel like women, young women in urban cities are sort of getting into a more progressive zone. However, we are constantly feeling that today women in extremely urban settings are possibly facing something very similar and that can be problematic so i feel that that's something to be very conscious of 
because by imagining this we other the problem that we face when it comes to gender inequalities of female feticide for example right. and we need to steer away from that i feel that today there is a very progressive vibrant india in tier 2 tier 3 tier 4 cities which is just as clued as we are they are understanding how people want to break patriarchal traditions and move into having real conversations about women emancipation so i feel that the movement isn't restricted to urban cities i feel it's become one and it's also expanding um, in a way that women are recognizing their rights to at least speak up or are absorbing content that is making them rethink about themselves we still have problematic areas for example we have so many regressive wedding rituals we have so many patriarchal festivals we have so many conversations where the boy is preferred over a girl even for wifi access yes across the board i'll be very surprised to believe that the person sitting in nagpur is doing this and somebody in south bombay isn't it's happening everywhere right the ticket to harvard or the ticket to yale or any other ivy school often lies with the sun if there is a choice to be made right so there are all kinds of ways by which inequalities show up in different economic settings true but you know i work a lot on ground with sanitation workers and uh, you know people from uh, marginalized community and i see a stark difference as well that you know they now have a voice they at least recognize that this is not okay and this is not what they want to bring to their children their daughters who are growing up to say that this is normal to be abused by the man or to be hit by the man or the man can come drunk and you know you are the victim so i think a lot of them have decided to like pick up their children and say i'm not going like to give in to all this because i think they feel responsible already and they are very aware so of course coming from very marginalized backgrounds i see a big big shift which is a great going for women in this country and i think they're very very strong as well so you're right and of course from the tier 2 tier 3 cities the kind of aspiration that is i do not think that the kids of the complete developed cities have that kind of aspiration still what these women from the smaller towns have to become something to prove something to be able to stand on their own feet i think that's the bigger desire that's coming out from the smaller town So do you also do some work in smaller cities as well how do you focus your work around that places so shida people is in hindi english and bangla right now nice. and we are constantly taking up to offer our content in many other languages but that said while we are trying to break through language barriers we also often breaking through just regional barriers for example shida people is most read among the metros in delhi mumbai bangalore but we have a very very strong readership and following in indore calicut siliguri kolkata jaipur udaipur chandigarh chennai it's extremely it's becoming wider and wider we get a lot of conversations coming in from places like for example you know entrepreneurship we've touched nasik belgaum salem we've also got a community in vishakhapatnam so i feel that there's a lot of opportunity for us to look at these communities within our platform about how they are going about ensuring there is a serious opportunity to learn opportunity to talk to other women converse and network at our various initiatives for example through she academy our skilling space 
We have collaborated with so many leadership coaches, social media managers, Instagrammers, influencers, designers to host workshops. I think that is extremely important for us as well. It's our endeavor to constantly take this conversation outside of the urban bubbles that people live in and uh, make it as real and authentic as possible. And I think in every day when we hear back from people, so there is this amazing series, if you haven't checked it out, it's called She the People Impact. It runs on our Instagram page. And every week we put out two to three stories of women from different parts of the country. Off late, we've been getting a lot of stories from men who have said how they were patriarchal until the time they were in their own homes and didn't move to college. When they moved to college and got to know about platforms like ours, how they changed their lives, how they changed their approach towards the women of the house and the women that they came in contact with. So for me, it's very gratifying to see that the work that STP team is doing is not just impacting women around the country, around the world, but also impacting uh, men and making that important change happen. Also, what I'm hearing is that, of course, on one hand, there is a skilling academy. There is, of course, uh, you know, the work which is coming out from the impact, which is, uh, you know, bringing in stories of impact, that to say, and bringing in change. What else is happening in Shelley's second act? So in my second act, there's a lot of thinking and rethinking. I mean, it's been close to five years of She the People, a little more than that. And I feel like, you know, we're ready for the next five in a big way with a lot of new ideas on the table. There are a bunch of them that are tech products that are planned for 2021, but unfortunately I can't talk in detail about them just yet. Nonetheless, the idea is to kind of make a more broad-based effort at reaching out to deeper parts of India and uh, predominantly press on the language pedal in a big way. But I think from my personal point of view, the second act has so many things. I never thought that I would have two children and a startup, which. <laughs> is so demanding altogether. COVID has also made us all rethink how we think of second acts in our own lives because we do want to achieve, but at the same time, we don't want to forget that this is so fortunate that we're able to still live and get past things and keep ourselves upbeat despite all the mental health challenges that so many of us face. So I think I have learned to love myself more, forgive myself more, accept more people's vulnerabilities, be a less, raise less demands on oneself outside of my professional ambition. So I think there are lots of things that I would throw into my second act. But like I always say, you know, I'm going to have many second acts. So I don't know what's the next one. Yeah, that's the constant. So we say second act is a continuation, but yet an evolution. So, you know, that's how I describe it as well. So, yes, we have to keep evolving. Yeah. But uh, what about children? What kind of a mama are you? With such a dynamic mama that uh, they have, do they identify that you are epitome of transformation, of uh, breaking patriarchy? Give me a little bit about what are you to your kids? So I'm extremely flattered that you think that I'm all of that. Uh, I'm, the good thing with my kids is that they were born after my glamorous television breaking news career was wrapped up and I had delved into my digital entrepreneur avatar. They haven't quite been the ones who saw me on television and you know every night like a lot of others that I know. So it's fascinating to them that I have so many things to say about women. My son would say that I'm a strict feminist mom sometimes unfairly pro-girls. My daughter she hasn't yet even gotten out to believe that there is anything different about her 
she is as um, gutsy as uh, her older brother and um, demanding on my time and she recognizes that she has lost three years between you know the time that she was born and my son was so she's trying hard to make up for it uh, <laughs> but I think it's uh, it's fun being a mom for me I stepped into this pretty late and uh, I am very pleasantly surprised with how fantastic it's been a ride for me it's a choice I made and that's why I said that I stepped into it pretty late because I wasn't sort of under anybody's pressure to get into motherhood. It's been an interesting journey for me. I've also come to respect a lot of people who make the choice to not be mothers after becoming a mother. And I kind of understand what their, you know, sort of thoughts are. Uh, but yeah, I think like motherhood does put you under a fair bit of standard stuff like guilt, etc. But I have learned uh, to teach my children that they can not think that I am the answer to their problems. And I think they're beginning to recognize that. So is there any awareness that you bring in in parenting every day to yourself to say, this is not what I'm going to be? So I think one of the biggest pieces about my parenting style is to inculcate the idea of space and creativity. For me, it's um, important that my kids find answers to their own creative uh, juices in their own way. My daughter's sense of a fish and how she draws it is very different from how a fish really looks. <laughs> uh, and I'm okay with that. Because yeah. when I first told her, this doesn't look like a fish, she promptly said, my fish looks like this. Oh. And I, I kind of felt that, you know, Okay, so she has a sense of how her fish should look. And maybe some fish in the world probably does. I don't know. So that's been a great mother. And I feel that, you know, if you could be as creative as you are, at least making an effort to teach me also, because I want to also come over my guilt pangs, though my kids are big now. And uh, I like to learn from you. How do you get around it? So teach me when you are able to, you know, kind of like, get a tight situation on that yourself you have an instrument of change i just want to know from you if there is all the learnings that you have in the last so many years working with women if there is somebody who is not able to come out uh, what would your message to them be if somebody who fails at what they're doing no if somebody is not failing actually but if somebody doesn't have really the guts to come out and speak or like you know stand up for their yeah. Self. Yeah. One of the things that I've learned as part of as an individual, as a journalist, as well as now the founder of She the People, is that not everybody needs to speak. And certainly not everybody who doesn't want to speak must speak. I think that's precisely why journalists exist to tell their stories. Precisely why we created platforms like She the People, so that when women are uncomfortable to go out there and speak up, somebody should turn their silence into their own voice and go root for them, fight for them. And I think this is true for revolutions all around the world, that it shouldn't require every single person to be part of it because some people just circumstantially cannot be. A woman who's stuck in a house of whatever, 12 family members and is facing domestic violence and has no no money to go because she was not financially independent or raised to be educated to become financially independent. How do we expect these women to come out and stand up uh, for themselves? It takes an environment, it takes a village, it takes a family to go out there and support people. 
So I think it's very important for platforms like She the People to become the village, the family, the sisterhood uh, when they can't find that place to go out and raise their hand and say, hey, it's me. I want to be part of the revolution. They should be able to just say, hey, you guys are doing this for me. And I'm happy with that, right? Uh, that comfort is important. I believe that there is feminism and revolution and silence just as much as it there is in standing up and speaking up. You're right. And what about one message going out to men from you? So I've been saying this on many platforms now. I always look up to the men and I say, listen, our job is already in progress. You guys better start now. You guys talk to each other and reduce my workload so that some of you can figure out that the feminist men in the room are talking a lot of sense and that if you do convert, you're going to be part of a revolution yourself. I am a big believer of taking men along in this journey for two reasons. One, I believe that to be in a gender equal world, we should respect all genders. But on the other hand, also in a selfish way, I want them to do a little bit of the work that I'm having to do. If they can convert their own guys, it's much faster, you know, unfortunately, that's how they're conditioned. So we really need that. Absolutely. I hope men are hearing you and hearing us on this podcast. I'm sure that, of course, there is a lot of change which is already happening. I can see it in the younger generation, thanks to my kids. I think there's a big transition. But of course, it's all work in progress. And we need to just keep on doing our work. And uh, they will follow, I hope. One last thing before we go off. You've written four books. What's been your inspiration and which is your best book so far? I can hardly say which is my best book so far, but <laughs> being an author has been an interesting journey as well, because I think it sort of brings a deep amount of discipline into people's lives. And just writing about all these stories and having an outlet so people can access it was a great uh, feeling. I've done a bunch of books. I think my first book was unique and still remains unique called Birdies in Business. It's about people who play golf and what they learn from the sport. I'm a big, big follower of the sport. I'm a big supporter of this sport and I support young women who are trying to make it in this simply because golf is unfortunately seen as an elite sport because it's got all these fancy clubs. But what they forget is that professional golf is actually a sport of people who came from completely basic backgrounds and have a rags to riches story. So Birdies in Business remains a really unique book and I particularly love it still. And I hear a lot about it. I wrote when I was 25 about leaders in their 20s and how they shaped their lives with whatever they chose to do in their 20s. That book as well gets me a decent amount of accolades. Even now I hear from people on Instagram pretty much every other week. I think it resonates with people because they're in their 20s and they'd love to see what other leaders were doing, how confused they were, how confident they were, how vulnerable they were in their 20s. So it's got a story of the former finance minister, Peter Dumram, who talked about capital markets actually being a complete jholawala and a trade union leader, a complete leftist who didn't believe in capitalism at one point. It has a story of Dimple Kapadia talking about her days when she had leprosy, when she was a teenager and how she overcame that. So there's some fascinating stories of uh, people who just are a mixed bag that I selected based on, you know, very intriguing background. My new book is Feminist Rani. I mean, The latest one so far um, is Feminist Rani. That is a book that's a compilation of fantastic interviews done by me and an ex-colleague who uh, was hosting Feminist Rani, the show that She the People has. It's a traveling show on feminism and it breaks down a lot of feminist presumptions. 
So I think that too was a very interesting book. And of course, I've done a bunch of other books which are slightly more sort of academic on social media and politics, a book about the history of the golf courses in India and so on and so forth. But yeah, I think like commercially, if somebody's looking to buy a book, go out there for when I was 25, Feminist Rani, Birdies in Business. Even if you're not a golfer, even if you're an entrepreneur, you will love Birdies in Business and you'll mm -hmm. get to know more about it. I can't wait to get my hands on it now. <laughs> I must read them. At least writing at a very young age is really commendable as well. So you have been doing great work. You continue to do great work. May you have many more second acts, Shelley. And thanks again for being with Thank me. Thank you. <laughs> and inspiring. Thanks so much. What a pleasure. Thank you. Bye-bye. Really Bye-bye.